0: We'll
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to RC Plane Lab. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. Today, we're going to be talking about glues and where to use them, and also some tools that you can make on your own that you don't have to buy. Exactly. First, though, I want to remind you guys, we have a listener survey on our website. We've had several of you fill them out, and we greatly appreciate it. Yeah.
0: But we want more. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the stuff that we actually talk about comes right from the surveys that you guys fill out, which we appreciate, and uh, gives <laughs> us stuff to talk about and you yeah. guys to listen to. So, yeah. yeah, do us a favor and fill those out if you haven't already. Yeah. And you can fill it out again if you've already filled it out. And if you have show topic ideas or
1: questions or anything like that, feel free to reach out and to uh, or reach out to us in the myriad of ways that are possible. Tom, how do you reach out to us? Oh gosh,
0: well you can get a hold of us on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a hold of us via uh, voicemail, which is the number is I I get that number, but it's on the
1: website area code eight one eight three five one nine eight four six.
0: Yep, you can also leave us a text at that number. You can get a hold of us via email, tom at rcplanelab.com or ron at rcplanelab.com.
1: Yeah, Tom's goes to him, Ron comes to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can also go to uh, YouTube. We're on YouTube now and you can uh, drop us a comment on any of the videos. You can get a hold of us that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of ways to get a hold of us and uh, give us your ideas, which we appreciate. Yeah. So you ready to get started? So first we're going to talk about the types of glues that we use in the hobby. Uh, we've kind of covered them briefly here and kind of there, but we've never really devoted like a a real quality uh, block of time to them. <laughs> I don't know if um, I call
1: this quality, but we'll see how it turns well, but out. But
0: I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's a it's a block of time that we're devoting only to, uh, in this case, the glues that we use. Um, so we'll just get right into it. Um, first thing, probably the most common uh, glue that you're going to use in the, in the balsa building uh, hobby is uh, CA, which is short for, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing this one. Ron's going to make fun of me, but I will. cyanoacrylate, I think.
1: It's cyanoacrylate?
0: Yep. There Maybe. you go. Perfect. Okay. Um, but it's basically super glue. Uh, it's essentially uh, the same type of stuff that you buy in the stores. It's Marketed under crazy glue or super glue or whatever, but it's the same type of adhesive. Um, nice thing about it is it bonds skin instantly
1: <laughs> quicker than you can imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's a glue that you want to, you want to use caution with. You don't obviously want to glue your fingers together, which
1: we all have done I've that done
0: many times. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's the, probably one of the most common and that it, it's a great glue to use if you want to, uh, get some parts locked together quickly. Um, the downside of that is it does it instantly. So if you get it wrong the first time, uh, there's you, you have to somehow get them apart, which they make a, a product for that as well. And it's called DeBonder.
1: Which is what you want because it's the opposite of bonding. Exactly. So it debonds. And it works well on skin. It does.
0: Yeah. It, uh, will, it will debond it uh, with a little bit of work. Um <laughs> But it will debond <laughs> CA and break down the, the bond that uh, that it creates instantly. It Did takes, I mention it's instant? It's instant. It
1: takes much yeah. longer to debond than it does to bond. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Uh, it, it really does. It takes a lot of work to get that stuff to work. Yeah. But it, it's essentially just acetone, I think. Uh, if you've ever like, Oh is it? If you've ever like gotten it on your hand and kinda of smell it. It smells a lot like acetone, but hmm. um Anyway. Uh that's C A and it comes in different thicknesses. Uh there's a thin which is all it's thin as water. Uh it goes everywhere if you're not careful.
1: <laughs> Easy to spill.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then there's a medium, uh which is kind of a they call it a gap filling. Um so it's got uh, like a kind of a gel consistency to it. And then there's I thought the thick was the gap filling. No? Well, the thick—I mean, you could probably use them both, depending on the gap, I guess, how big <laughs> how big the gap is. Uh, but then there's True. a thick CA also uh, designed for you know. Less than filling. perfect uh, fitting glue joints, yeah. And then there's also foam safe CA, which is uh, a CA that's been developed to be safe with foam. So regular CA, if you use it on your foamy, will attack foam. So make sure you're using foam safe CA uh, if you're gluing that uh, that type of material together.
1: Yeah, it will make the foam just disintegrate
0: a lot so. like gasoline does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've told that story before. It's not yeah. fun.
0: Uh, they also there's also some other kind of specialized type CAs There's CA out there with uh, rubber kind of uh, particles uh, mixed in with it that's designed for to kind of stay flexible after it's cured. Um, we used to use that back in the RC car days to glue tires to the wheels. Um, but anyway, the most common types thin, yeah. thin, medium, and thick, and then the foam safe are the ones you're going to run into the most um, and probably going to use the most. I use thin CA a lot for. Not just hobby-related items, but I use it around the house, too. Uh, It also, since it glues skin together so well, if you cut your (laughs) hand open, uh, it also makes a great adhesive to glue your skin back together to keep it from bleeding.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. I've done it many times. I can't. (laughs) Oh, that just makes me nauseous thinking about it. Uh, I don't handle blood very well. Yeah,
0: well, I wouldn't use it in the the place of stitches, but in a pinch. Well, I
1: guess— when you go in, like if you have a cut and you go into the hospital, sometimes they do just glue it back together. You know, I don't know what story. they use.
0: The CA, was that's actually what it was developed for. Uh, I think it was called, a product called Dermabond, I think. Um That's oh. actually, uh, was used in, I think, World War Two. It was developed for that to glue together <laughs> uh, wounds to keep people from bleeding to death. Wow. So, yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. That's uh, That's where its roots are located. So... <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> the nice thing, though, about the thin CA is that it does wick into the balsa. It does. And it makes a really strong joint, as Ooh. long as it's a closed joint. Yeah, it's got to so be it, a
0: good-fitting joint. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it doesn't do its uh, job properly. Um, and usually, like, if you if you glue two pieces of balsa together with CA and then break the pieces apart, uh, the wood is what breaks, not the, not the glue joint. So yeah. it's pretty tough stuff.
1: Yeah, it kind of impregnates itself inside of that balsa and just really makes it strong.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next type of adhesive uh, that we'll talk about is epoxy. Um, so epoxy is a two-part adhesive that you mix a certain part of A to a certain part of B, mix them together, and usually
1: fifty-fifty.
0: Yeah, in most cases. Uh, I've seen some three-to-ones out there. Um, yeah, not as common anymore, uh, just because they're not convenient because you don't mix them equally. <laughs> um, but they uh, they they come in different uh, viscosities, kind of like CA. Uh, they come in, uh, you know. Maybe not so much viscosities, but the, the allowed time you have to work with it. Uh, so there's 5-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute. The minute. open
1: time. Yeah,
0: there's 30-minute epoxy out there. And uh, and what they're referring to is the amount of working time that you have to to work with it before it kicks off or starts to cure and get hard. And um, that's
1: not set in stone.
0: No, it's not. So uh, – something. Yeah, sometimes you have to remember that the more of it you mix up – usually the faster it kicks off because it's a thermodynamic process. Exothermic. Exothermic process. Thank you. Um, So, the more heat it builds, the faster it kicks off and the more volume of that stuff you have, the more heat it makes. So, uh, when you and mix. And the more heat
1: it holds on to, Right. Like it doesn't actually, it, it's not able to cool itself down, you know? So yeah, it goes quicker.
0: Yeah. So if you mix up a large quantity of that, be prepared to, uh, work a little bit faster than you think you need to, uh, given it's advertised, uh, pot life time. Um, mostly I use five minute epoxy because I, I, You know, I sometimes am clamping stuff together with my fingers and I don't want to hold on to it for 30 minutes while I wait for it to cure. Um, Five minute is probably what I use the most. Uh, I use the 30 minute epoxy for doing things like uh, gluing wing halves together, uh, stuff like that. So uh, that's epoxy.
1: And there's a difference in five minute and 30 minute also, and we're not going to get into why but how it uh how hard it is I guess and how brittle it is right so yep. the slower it sets up the less brittle it's going to be exactly yep. so a 5 minute uh, 5 minute de- epoxy is going to be more brittle like if you smack it on a on the ground or something it's more likely to break the joint than a, a 30 minute would be exactly
0: yep yeah, and a thirty-minute will will actually have some flexibility to it, just like you mentioned. So yeah, yeah, nice wide range. Um, you can pick the one that uh, suits your application, which we'll talk about here in a little bit.
1: And there's like fifteen-minute also. There, yeah. I think there's ten-minute. If I remember right, I think yeah, I think, think I've seen it I before. Think but whatever
0: time you want to work with, there's probably one out there for you. <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty much all I keep though, and I don't know about you, but all I keep is five and thirty.
0: That's all I. That's all I keep in my. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't Uber see a reason to, to
1: have any extras in any other time mm-hmm. frame. So
0: I figure if I have 15 minutes to work with uh, adhesive, I've probably got also 30 minutes. And if 30 minutes, you know, adhesive provides a, a better bond or a stronger bond than 15 minutes, well then I've, I've got 15 extra minutes to wait.
1: <laughs> and we'll talk later about where to use the different types of, of these glues that we're talking about. So don't get yep. too concerned about, well, where are we supposed to use them? Cause we'll, we'll go over that. <laughs> we're going to tell you that
0: yeah. here in just a few minutes. So, um, my next, uh, the, the next adhesive I want to talk about is my favorite, um, aliphatic resin. And not just because I like saying the word it's carpenter's glue. Uh, so it's basically yellow glue, uh, a derivative of Elmer's wood glue essentially. Um, and I like it because it's old fashioned. Yeah. And, and that's what I learned to, to build with. Um, and if, if you're patient, uh, you, can, you can get some really, really quality, good-looking um, airframes that, uh, that is a shame to cover up with monocoat or fiberglass when you're done. You know, when you're done with it and you've used aliphatic resin, you don't have any of the discoloration of the balsa that can sometimes happen with CA, um, and you don't have the mess of epoxy. Uh, and it doesn't require a lot of glue to get a really, really tight-fitting or a good-fitting, uh, strong uh, glue joint. Um, a lot, a little of this stuff goes a long way. And
1: there are different kinds out there that you, you, when I was building my, uh, the duelist, you yelled at me for using one <laughs> of them. I don't remember what the difference was, but what, what was it?
0: Well, Do you know? s- some of the, some of the tight bond, uh, well, the Type Bond brand has several different types of uh, of glue. I just stick with I think it's Type Bond Two, I think, which is their standard um, carpenter's glue. Some of the other ones they have additives in them to keep them flexible or to give them waterproofing or for use in s- specific areas. Just stick to the standard Type Bond. I think it's Type Bond Two is what I use. But Sig Bond makes the same thing. I think Great Plains. You can still buy Great Plains aliphatic resin. I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there's different types out there for specific uses. Just just stick to the basic uh, standard carpenters glue. No uh, frills. Yeah, n- exactly. No frills. You don't need any special additives or anything like that. And, boy, does it do a good job with balsa because it kind of soaks in like CA does and then it impregnates the wood and— you know, Between those two pieces of wood, you're not going to break them together at the glue joint.
1: And I think last time I bought it, I bought a gallon for yeah, 20 bucks. It's cheap.
0: Yeah, it's not right? very expensive at all. Um, it does require patience because it doesn't glue instantly like CA does. Um, but
1: that's good sometimes if you want to be able to get your joints lined up just the way you want them.
0: Right. And on most builds, I mean, to be honest, uh, I'm working on several different components simultaneously. So, you know, let's say I've glued some ribs together with, uh, with the tight bond while that's setting up, I'm over here working on the fuselage, putting formers together or or something like that. So there's there's usually something you can accomplish while you're waiting patiently for your type bond to, to cure. <laughs> uh, but that's my favorite. I like it. It, it makes really nice, uh, strong joints.
1: And a lot of times, it doesn't take a long time to dry anyway.
0: No, it like really, if, doesn't.
1: If you use the right amount of glue, you're ten, 10, 15 minutes, and you're able to move it around and move on to the next step. So. True,
0: especially if your if your joints are, are are well fitting.
1: Well fitting. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm.
0: um, and then so like the last uh, adhesive we'll talk about is uh, Gorilla Glue. Uh, that's kind of new to the scene. I don't have a lot of experience with it, other than uh, sheeting foam core wings with it. Um, but I've I've noticed that some people are are doing other laminations. You know, they'll laminate um, eighth inch balsa sheet together and and run the grain different directions to make their own types of plywood uh, for specific uh, uses. Um, so this is kind of new. I think it's still kind of. Um, people are still sort of experimenting with it and, and getting uh, getting used to how it works. Uh, I know that it expands a little bit, uh, so you have to be mindful of that. If you if you need those parts to stay in a certain alignment, you have to factor in the, the fact that this uh, glue will sort of expand in the joint, potentially moving your parts out of alignment. So normally
1: with any kind of expanding glue like that, usually it's like a—what's a, a, uh, the word I'm looking for? It's a— uh water activated, so it's the yeah. moisture in the air that, that activates the glue. Yeah. Um, you can speed it up by spraying it with some water before you actually put the joints together.
0: Exactly right. And
1: then with this type of glue, if you ever use it, it has to be clamped. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. there's no way getting yeah. around it, because if not, it will move around and it will uh, upset you when you come back and look at your part that's nowhere near where it's yeah. supposed to be.
0: Yeah, and like I said, most mostly I, I've, I've seen it used for sheeting and other types of laminations like that. Um, for gluing sticks together and stuff, I, I don't think, generally speaking, I don't think folks are using it for that. Um, but it is an adhesive that uh, that when, when used properly, uh, it does a really good job actually on sheeting uh, foam core wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of sheeting wings, I forgot to mention this about the aliphatic resin. Uh, it's a little t- uh trick I learned here quite some time ago. I saw it on RC groups uh, and I've seen other people use it here lately as well. Um, If you're sheeting a a built-up wing like our dualist wings, for example, Uh and you want to use aliphatic resin, but you're not sure if you're going to be able to get, you know, the glue on in time and then the sheeting on in time and get the clamps on in time before the glue starts setting up, what you can do is uh, lay the aliphatic resin on the tops of all the ribs and spars and any other structure that the sheeting is going to be stuck to lay your sheeting on top of it, kind of move it around just a little bit to get that glue transferred onto the sheeting and then pull the sheeting off. Let that uh, aliphatic resin kind of dry for 20 minutes or so. And then here's the real trick part. You can actually iron it on. You take the sheeting, lay it back on and then the heat application of an iron will reactivate the glue. As long as it's not fully cured. I mean, we're talking like 20 minutes, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and you're in the safe zone and mm. you can actually iron your sheeting on and it sticks instantly with the iron, which is kind of a neat trick, especially if you're sheeting a large uh, built up wing.
1: That is a good idea. Yeah.
0: Actually. Yeah. I forgot to, I'm, I'm glad I remembered to mention that because that's a, that's a great use. For and you and you can use that technique on anything that you're sheeting with, uh, with sheeted, you know, balsa over uh, structure. I try that sometime. Yeah, That's interesting. T- it works. Yeah, uh, I used it on uh, on my duelist.
1: There's oh, I didn't obviously because I didn't know about it. Yeah. Well, you and I bagged it too. Yeah. Is Which is a, also a great. Yeah. Is there a certain temperature?
0: Uh, hot. <laughs> I mean, just, just anything that's hot enough to transfer that heat okay. through the balsa down to the to the glue. I think I use the, my monocoat setting <laughs> on my iron, which is hot. So
1: as hot as it will go.
0: Yeah, 300-ish, I think, is where my monocoat setting is. So, okay. um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Another, another great use for my favorite adhesive, aliphatic resin. Not so. just because I like saying it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so where do we use them?
0: Oh, that's a good question. So you can take a drink if you want. Um, go on.
1: <laughs> you mean to catch you off guard? There. Ah,
0: dry pipes. Uh-huh. Um, so for balsa to balsa, uh, you can use any of those adhesives. Um, My favorite again is aliphatic resin, Um, but they all, all of those adhesives work great for, for gluing balsa to balsa, with the exception maybe of Gorilla Glue, uh, depending on the application. Um, It's just how, how patient you are and how, how good your joints fit. Um, If they're really great fitting joints, man, I, I, I highly recommend aliphatic resin. So uh, for balsa to balsa, yep, you can, you can, uh, you can work with any of those adhesives.
1: And you spread, like you would just spread them on with, like with what a, a paintbrush or something if you need to.
0: So aliphatic resin, yeah, you can spread it with a paintbrush. They make brushes. Uh, you have one, I think. Uh, it's like it has little rubber nubs on it. You can use that to <laughs> to spread it. Um, CA doesn't get, you know, you don't really spread that. You kind of lay a bead down and put the pieces together and you're done, you know. Um, or if you have pieces that uh, fit well together and they'll stay together, then you can wick CA, thin CA into that joint. And again, you're you're done instantly.
1: And you have to be careful because if you're working on thinner, like uh, eighth inch or even thinner uh, balsa on that, it will go all the way through.
0: Yeah. So if, oh, if you're
1: yeah. if you're holding <laughs> those pieces together using your hand to actually be the clamp. You are now part
0: of the airframe. I have done that before. Oh, I have to. <laughs> I have to. I've been, yeah, I've chewed balsa off of my uh, fingers many, many times. <laughs> uh, something I want to mention, though, um, with CA, when it's cured, it's harder than the balsa that. Uh, surrounds it. Right. Uh, And, and what I'm getting at is when it comes time to sand that joint, um, a good example of this is wing sheeting. If you glue wing If you glue sheets of balsa together to act as your wing sheeting and you use CA, that joint is going to be harder than the wood that surrounds it. So when you go to sand it, uh, the wood around that joint is going to sand faster than the joint itself. So then you end up with, you get to see every single glue joint. So another reason to use aliphatic resin, because it sands just the same as the balsa does.
1: Yeah. I came across that when I was building the Duelist too, and that's problematic in places. It can be.
0: Yeah. And, uh uh here's another uh tidbit about c a uh monocote and Ultracote stick wonderfully to c a um but maybe not so wonderfully to the balls around it so if you ever go to recover that airframe uh then you have to pretty much sand off the covering over those c a joints uh adds a little bit of work you know to to the recover but certainly um you have to be careful with sanding uh c a joints especially on wing shading or anything that has you know been. Um, glue, edge glued that then requires sanding.
1: Yeah. Anytime you use CA, it's a good idea to have it to where it's not, I don't want to say not seen, but not something where it's flat, like right. big flat areas. Yeah. CA doesn't like to, yeah. because of the sanding, CA doesn't like to be used very yeah.
0: much. I like, uh, found. for CA, I use CA a lot on fuselage warmers, Um because mm-hmm. they're inside. Generally, you're not going to have to try to sand those joints no. um, and you can work quickly. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you know, maybe I'm not the most patient, and I'll break out the thin ca when my when I'm doing a, a fuselage or whatever. But yeah, for for wing sheeting and and actually ribs to spars, that's another good uh, a good spot for ca. Um, like again, it, it allows you to work quickly. Yeah. Especially if you're going to cover it with I got sheeting. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because that'll
1: um, all get held in with the the sheets. So. Exactly.
0: So yeah, for balsa to balsa, yep, you can use you can use any of those adhesives with caveats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's always uh, something, isn't yeah. there?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: It's never cut and dry.
0: Yep. So let's say you want to uh, glue some ABS, uh, like a preformed cowl or maybe some wheel pants or something, um, to balsa or any other kind of wood. Um, CA is going to be my choice for for that uh, scenario. Uh, the reason for that is, uh, again, it, it allows you to work quickly, um, whereas epoxy, you know, maybe maybe you, know, you, you don't have time or maybe you can't because of the shape of the part, you can't get a good way to clamp it together, so you have to hold it while the glue dries. Um, yeah, so my choice in that particular scenario is uh, CA. Epoxy would be my next uh, choice, especially if you can clamp it and set it aside and not worry about it. But usually ABS parts are going to have shapes to them. You know, it's, it's going to be maybe a rounded cowl or wheel pants, or maybe a windscreen, even a clear windscreen. Um, so CA would be, would be my, my first choice there. But again, we have caveats. Um, if you're using CA on transparent plastics, uh, you should know that CA does create a haze or kind of a fog that kind of turns white that you'll then be able to see, uh, as it, um, uh, Condenses on, on yeah, the clear what, plastic.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it does, but it does yeah. make it kind of difficult. It even gets on covering too. Like if yeah. you're using on C A hinges and stuff, I found that when I was building the duelist.
0: Yeah. Sure does.
1: Um, what about like is that gonna be the same for fiberglass then? Same as, as ABS? Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, anything that uh yeah, anything that's not balsa or metal, <laughs> let's say. Anything that's a plastic uh derivative, um, Yeah, I I would. uh, CA is kind of my first choice, unless unless like I said, unless I have a nice way to clamp or fixture that part and let epoxy cure, then yeah, CA would be my choice in that particular case. So so plastic to balsa or plastic to wood, uh, go with CA unless you can clamp it and uh, have time to use epoxy. So next uh, would be plywood. Uh, so either that can be light ply or aircraft, uh, the you know the five, seven layer, nine layer, even if it's thick enough uh, plywood uh, to anything. My choice here is epoxy. I like the strength that it provides. Um, uh, usually, plywood is a little bit more dense than balsa, so you don't get that penetration of CA like you can in balsa. Yeah. Um, so I go with uh, I go with epoxy, uh, aliphatic resin is uh is it not a bad choice uh, but it doesn't have the strength and when we're talking plywood we're usually talking Really structural members of, or uh, yeah, members of the airframe, like a firewall or fuselage formers, or, or die cut out of uh, light ply a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, so I like the strength of of epoxy, especially on a firewall or a wing mount block, um, anything like that that's a dense wood. I'm gonna go with epoxy.
1: The other nice thing about epoxy, thirty minute epoxy for a firewall, is that you can use that to paint. Absolutely. And fuel proof your firewall.
0: Yeah, it makes a great fuel proofer. Thin it down with a little bit of uh, um, alcohol, and you can brush it on, and it it dries crystal clear, so you can still see that cool uh, wood finish behind it. And here's another little tidbit. You can stain it like you can tint epoxy, just like you can tint huh. regular base paint like you buy at the hardware store. Yeah. You put a couple of drops of water-based paint in there. Now you've got a colored epoxy that you can then paint your firewall with, and then you don't have to come back and paint it later.
1: Well, that's interesting, yeah, because when I did the Telemaster, I ended up just painting the firewall first and then oh. covering it with epoxy. Yep. Wish I'd have known that then. Would have saved me a step. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, Where
0: were you when I needed you? I know, I'm, I'm always just a phone call away or a text.
1: But if I, if I don't know I need to have the question, then how do I have the question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I just need to be around every time you're building something. Right. Yeah, okay. Which, well, well, we'll see if we can make that. Lori might have something to say about that, though.
1: I don't have a lot of time to build lately, so... That's true. Pretty much any you're out here is the only one I build anyway. That's so.
0: true. <laughs> um, yeah, so plywood to to anything, basically I'm going to grab the epoxy. Um, and then uh, CA, like I said, I, I try not to use CA on uh, on plywood parts. Now, I am I will caveat that that as well. Um, Die-cut uh, light ply formers for fuselages when I'm sticking balsa to the sides of them. Sometimes I'll grab my medium CA and, and go to town with that. Um, but, uh, because I'm not going to get epoxy sometimes down in the, in the way down corners of the, yeah. of the fuselage. So, uh, medium CA or thick CA I'll, I'll go with there. But, uh, epoxy is my go-to for plywood. All right. Anything else on glues? I think that about covers it. If you guys have any questions about uh, about where to use a specific kind of glue, hit us up in those many different ways you can contact us <laughs> that we talked about, and we'll be happy to help whenever we can.
1: All right. So next up, let's talk about tools you can make yourself.
0: Okay. Mostly, that's going to be limited to clamps and sanding apparatus. Apparati. Apparati. <laughs> um, so I mean, like I have a lot of custom little shaped. Um, sanding tools that I've made over the years. And I like I have this, no kidding. I have like a box. I don't remember what was in the box. Now it was, a, I think it was an old kit, like a really small, like a Gillows kit, I think anyway. Um, and it's full of just uniquely shaped sanding blocks that I've made over the years to really sand. Like for instance, the, uh, a leading edge, you know, you can make those pretty easily by, um, you know, sanding the inverse into a soft balsa block and then lining that with sandpaper 3M77 uh, with some sandpaper stuck in that. And that makes a great little custom, you know, tool. And that way you can sand in consistent, even uh, shape across that whole leading edge. Yeah. Um,
1: I didn't do that when I did mine, and it was a little difficult.
0: Well, I mean, it's even with a—even with a a long— sanding bar, sometimes it's, you can still get those inconsistencies, uh, over a long surface, um, especially if it's longer than your bar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having a, having a pre-shaped tool that, uh, is exactly the shape you need is a uh, one handy way to, you know, get a nice consistent edge. Um, So those you can make yourself, you can make them out of anything. I think a lot of mine are made out of leftover two-by-fours from home (laughs) projects or whatever.
1: We all Um, have a bunch of those.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Right angle uh, sanding blocks, I've got quite a few of those as well. And those are just basically uh, leftover. Like when you build a kit or even uh, eh, maybe not so much an ARF, but um, there's a lot of times there's leftover light ply that's just big enough to make a to make a couple of pieces that you glue together at a, in a square and now you've got a handy dandy perfect square. You can cut a piece of balls and then sand a perfect square corner on it with that tool. So, um, lots of those, um, actually I have uh, a lot of round, uh, sanding shapes. Uh, so just the opposite of a leading edge, uh, this would be something you want to sound sand a hole or, uh, uh, maybe a round notch to clear, you know, a, a piece of servo linkage or something like that in a rib. Or if you want to maybe cut holes in a rib, a uh, piece of dowel with some sandpaper glued to it or an ink pen or, you know, whatever you, whatever you need. Yeah, because um, you're
1: better off not having square angles. Like yeah. squares or you want nice rounded corners exactly. when you're building something like that. Yeah. Stress stress points, stress whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah
0: some place where cracks can propagate yeah. from. There you How about go. about that for that, a big that's word? That's better. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of little shapes like that. Uh, keep them in that box. And uh, it seems like every time I build something, I'm making another sanding block, and then I <laughs> I put it in my box, and then I look in the box. Oh, well, I already had one, but <laughs> now I have a second one, but maybe a different grid on it or something. But mm-hmm. uh, but sanding blocks and sanding shapes, like I said, you can make them from anything. Um, you, you could even... Um, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, tools that I've made that are made out of uh, aluminum. Uh, T-stock, I think it's called. Or or is it called tea like T bars or T bars? Yeah, yeah. Uh, those make actually those make great sanding tools because they don't flex. They're nice and stiff, and you can get those in quite long uh, pieces at the at the extrusions. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, aluminum extrusions. Yeah, uh, and those come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And just you can find them at the uh, at the hardware stores and and the home improvement centers. Um, those make great sanding blocks too because you can, like I said, you can get them in really lo- you know long lengths, and that way you can get that nice consistent uh, shape over that over that length. So that's yeah. something you can use for a sanding block. Um, but basically anything that you can stick sandpaper to, uh, can be used as a sanding block. So another tool I, uh, I find I make a lot, uh, are clamps. Um, aside from using the, the old standard, you know, rubber bands to hold a fuselage together or, um, clothes pins to hold maybe, uh, uh, laminated, parts of, uh, you know, stringers and things like that. Um, sometimes I'll make my own clamp. Like, uh, I remember here not too long ago, I had to make a, uh, had to make a something to clamp two wing halves together because for whatever reason, uh, they needed to be clamped together to get a good glue joint instead of just the usual method of laying one and propping another one up and sticking them together and taping them. Um, I used a piece of ball thread, uh, with a, with really big washers on either end, and then I had nuts that I could turn in on either end and actually provide that clamping force. Um, I think that was actually on an old uh, Top Flight B-25, I think is where I use that. Anyway, hmm. um, so that's that's a tool that I made myself, uh, just from stuff I had laying around the house.
1: Kind of like a bar clamp, but exactly. and that would obviously work better, I think, on a flat wing than on a something with dihedral though right
0: well actually the this wing had some dihedral and i i just basically uh you know weighted down the the joint uh at the dihedral so that uh you know one wing was propped up and the other wing i think was laid down flat on the table um but in order to secure that um the joint where the dihedral was, I just added a lot of weight. That way, as I clamped it, it didn't try to push push everything out of alignment. Oh, okay. Um, and we're not talking like I didn't have to clamp it with, you know, 60-inch pounds of force <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. It was, it was just enough to keep the, the joint together while the epoxy cured.
1: You're not putting a 30-pound dumbbell on it.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, although, I mean, I have done that before. Uh, yeah. you know, when you're laminating something, having that weight oh, on top. well, laminating so,
1: yeah. something, that's different than <laughs> joining a wing. Right.
0: But I mean, you know, 45 pound, uh, 45 pound plate from our weight set at home that made a nice, that made a nice clamp. Oh,
1: look at you having a weight set.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I lifted it. I'm just but saying. At least you have one. I have one, I guess. <laughs> I don't. It, it, it does a good job of collecting dust in our closet. <laughs> um. But that's another thing, you know the re the re, or, uh, the uh, all thread. Um, also, something else you could use um, in in specific situations. You may need uh, uh, the example I'll use is our uh, our big fuselage that's uh, hanging up here behind us that we're going to build. Um, I'm not sure I own enough clamps to clamp the. The various parts together as we're gluing them uh, for this thing. So what I might do in this case is I'll make uh, I'll make uh, I'll make my own clamps by cutting a notch into an old piece of plywood or balsa even that is just wide enough to fit the two pieces that I want stuck together inside, and maybe even make it a little on the small side by a few thousandths so that I can just slip that piece over the two parts to hold them together while the glue uh, dries.
1: It's almost like a wider clothespin.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it, it doesn't have any spring action. It's just the only spring action is the spring in the material. And um,
1: then, like, would you put rubber bands on the bottom or something to hold the yep, bottom together? you could. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: yep. rubber bands or, yeah, whatever, tie it off with string, whatever you got to do. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have enough clamps to clamp this <laughs> thing together. So I'll probably be resorting to a to homemade tool, homemade clamp for that. Yeah. So, um, and— not quite a tool, uh, but something handy to have around when you're building with balsa is Windex. And I'm talking about the Windex with ammonia in it. Uh, the reason for that, is sometimes maybe we'll want to shape a piece of balsa, but we don't want to carve it out of a huge block. Um, the most recent, recent example I'll use is my uh, the, um, the wheel wells in my dualist wing. I lined those with balsa and I did that by taking, uh, some leftover wing sheeting, uh, rolling it around a, a can. I think I used, a, um, our, um, can of, um, glass cleaner. There it is. And, uh, you soak that with, uh, with the Windex and the ammonia, it allows that balsa to become kind of pliable and you shape that around there and let it dry and then pull it off. Next thing you know, you've got round balsa. So that's not really a tool, but it's definitely something uh, that can be used as a tool, uh, especially when you're wanting to shape balsa and maybe make it round, like turtle decks. That's another great use for that.
1: Yeah, it definitely helps the the bending process. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried it before without using the Windex, and I've cracked the balsa. Yeah, and then yeah, putting some balsa or some Windex yep. on there, it makes it work a yeah. lot easier. And
0: you'd be surprised at how how pliable. Balsa becomes it especially really, it really is especially yeah. lengthwise with the you know when you're doing with the grain, um, it it actually really becomes quite flexible and you can make some really tight. Uh, radius with uh, with you know eighth inch sheeting or, or three thirty two sheeting,
1: and so it's the ammonia that helps with that, or is that's that what I've
0: been, that's what I've read. Is like it... I've I've not tried any other type of ammonia. I mean, I've, I only have Windex with ammonia in my yeah. in my workshop, um, but I've been told that the ammonia is the active ingredient that allows the balsa to do that. So interesting. Yeah. So next, yeah, stands, um, we talked about those on our Saving Money in RC episode, um, but those are great tools uh, for holding fuselages while you're working on them. Uh, you can make a, a foam, and what I'm talking about is the the, the, the thick uh, pink foam board you get at like the home centers, cutting that into different shapes and, and making uprights and stands. Uh, you can make stands of any kind out of this stuff, and it's, you know, it's really not that expensive, and it goes no. together pretty easily, too.
1: And it's pink or blue, by the way, depending on manufacturer. Right. I think Dow was blue, if I remember okay. right, and some of the other manufacturers are Owens pink. Owens
0: Corning is probably pink because yeah. of the Pink Panther. Remember the Owens Corning no. commercials? They always had is the that, Pink Panther in them? No. Yeah. That mean before pink my from, time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Showing my age again. There you go. Um, but anyway, you can make your own stands. You can make them any shape you need. Um, you can you can make two uprights with a slot in it to fit a wing in. Um, you can make them with notches to hold a fuselage with a base plate. I mean, there's no limit to what you can uh, make out of that stuff. So yeah. making your own stands, uh, those are tools. I think they're. I, I would consider them tools. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they can hold stuff uh, they for serve you a while purpose. you work on them. Yep. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to talk about, I'm really excited about. Um, I just read this on RC Groups. It's been on there for a while. Apparently it was an older post, but I just came across it. Building your own table, um, like a magnetic building table, but using Lego. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, How? It blows my mind. Well, well, so, I'm,
1: I don't understand that one. What do you mean? Well, like... Talk through it, because i got to see if I can put this in my mind, cause I don't get it yet.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, you know what a magnetic building table is, right? Like a Lego one or regular? No, like a regular one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you've got a, a piece of steel that is your base, right, your right. building surface, and then you have various um, magnetic uh, devices. <laughs> well, they're right angles, usually blocks, magnetic blocks, which okay. you, you then arrange on the table to hold your pe- pieces in alignment. Okay. Um, so... I read on RC groups that the guy um, was taking Lego bricks and you know how Lego bricks, like a two by four Lego brick. I know a lot about Lego cause that's one of my other hobbies, but when you flip it over, it has uh, like a two by four brick has three big holes in it right on the bottom.
1: What do you mean two by, okay. So that's the like one a, that has eight little holes on top or eight round okay, things so on a, top.
0: So a two by four, okay. A quick Lego tutorial here. Bricks oh, are measured by the number of, um, Uh, studs on them, right? And a stud is the piece that sticks out on the top. Or the circle. Studs. Uh, So a (laughs) two by four brick is two studs by four studs in dimension. And a standard brick is roughly three plates high. So Three what? Plates. So a Lego plate, three of those stacked together, equals the thickness of a Lego brick. Don't know if you knew that or not, but now you do. No. So if you take a two by four brick and turn it over, there's three hollow tubes on the bottom of it. Just the right makes
1: sense because that's what grabs onto the, the holes on top or the round things on top. Exactly. Okay.
0: And those are just the right diameter, eight millimeters to glue eight millimeter round magnets that you can get off Amazon. Um, glue these into there and now you have a magnetic perfectly square. Did I mention Lego bricks are perfectly square? Thanks Lego. Um, Anyway, you fill these things with those relatively inexpensive magnets and now you have perfectly square bricks to arrange that are then also stackable to customizable shapes to put on your building table and have unique uh, arrangements to, to do whatever you need them to do to hold your parts together while you're cooling. Huh. So. And here's the great thing. Like most of us folks... Uh, who are building model airplanes these days, um, our kids are grown. So there's just a bevy of Lego out there that the kids no longer use that you can then make, you know, into tools. So basically- yeah, so there you
1: if so go. If your kids are older and they don't play with their Legos anymore- It's, it's not just Legos.
0: Ki- it's Lego.
1: So if your kids are older and they don't <laughs> play with your Legos anymore- Lego.
0: What do you, why is it not Lego? Or why is it, it is not Legos? Legos? It's not Legos. Lego is plural of Lego.
1: See that's just I don't. <laughs> if you would like to play with your little kids' toys that you step on when they leave them out and you get upset about, you can actually build with them. That's kind of exactly. cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I don't know why I got so excited. But it's probably because I combined two hobbies together. Probably why I I can I got excited get behind
1: John RC airplanes, but Legos, Lego, whatever. Sorry, <laughs> don't slap me.
0: I'm not gonna slap I don't you. Get it. But but I mean it's perfect. But because... hold on, where
1: does how does it how is it plural? Lego. Plural it means there's more it's like
0: yeah lego is plural of just like aircraft is plural of aircraft same same thing it's not aircrafts right yeah but it's
1: airplanes an airplane
0: yeah but an airplane is also an aircraft
1: so a lego is also legos no Anyway. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm anyway, not going to argue, I'm sure because, you know a lot yeah, more about Lego to, than I do. We get to
0: combine both of, both of, uh, two of my hobbies to, into doing one. So I think I might actually, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. I'm probably not going to put one of these tables together, but I got really excited when I read about that. So <laughs> maybe someday when I get my cool shop and garage and all that built, I'll, I'll put something like that together. There you go. Maybe. Yeah. What else do so, you want to talk about, Tom? So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much uh, what I wanted to cover. I mean, tools you can build yourself to save you a trip from going to the to the hardware store to buy a tool. I'm, I'm a big fan. And those are some of the ones I've built over the years. Cool.
1: You want to move on to listener questions? <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. okay. Let's start off with Jim. Okay. Uh, Jim says, I think I've heard all of your episodes. I was wondering that's if you. you have talked about or can talk about small homemade runways, mm-hmm. uh, in particular textile fabric runways. Do you guys have any experience with these? No.
0: Yeah, so we'll we'll start. He, he goes on to ask some more questions, but uh, we'll stop there. And neither one of us, Ron or I, have a lot of experience with these. I know what he's talking about, um, and I have flown off of them before. Um, and my only real point, I guess, would be that— uh, they're only as good as the surface they're rolled out on. Uh, so if you roll it out on a surface that has the clumpy, you know, kind of patchy, weedy grass, that will show up in the finished product. So yeah. if it's not a perfectly smooth surface, you're not going to get a perfectly smooth surface. The only thing you really gain, I would say, is that you don't have the drag of of the grass, you know, like if you have propeller clearance issues or whatever, might not be a bad idea for something like that. But, but for Ron and I, um, we're, we're perfectly happy with a nice, short, mowed grass field.
1: Yeah. Well, let me read on on this and then we'll kind of get to that. So he says, I have 13 acres uh, in a rural area. Nice. I currently Mm -hmm. only fly foam aircraft, homemade, and RTF aircraft, uh, which is ready to fly. Mm -hmm. I took a 10-year break, but getting back into it by getting a Super Cub going. Nice. Welcome back again. Yeah. Um, It would be cool to fly out of my pasture. What kind of size do I need for what I fly? Uh, And is this a good alternative to asphalt? Thanks Mm -hmm. for everything. Great show. So... As Tom said, like we fly at, at my house yeah. off of about a hundred foot runway. Um, and really, it's just cut grass.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we've flown small things out of here too. Sure, we have. Um, it's probably, well, because of how my setup is, it's, it's more conducive to flying smaller things other than like big airplanes. Yeah. Um, but really, like I think, I think your biggest concern with putting any of the plastic down is first off, it's going to be expensive. Like, just a a mowed grass runway is simple. I mean, it grows back if your wife gets upset with you about it. (laughs) You know, if you have to do anything, it's easy to do. There's really no upkeep other than cutting your grass low. Um And really, like I said, you can fly a lot of things off of that. And since you said you're getting a Cub, that's the perfect excuse to get bigger wheels on your Cub. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) I love. Ron and his big wheels. I like the tundra look of like the short takeoff and landing Cubs, like when they do that. So when I had my 80-inch wingspan Cub, uh, I think it had five-inch wheels
0: on it. Yeah, they were big.
1: And they were the the balloon type. They looked really cool. Um, Unfortunately, I sold that airplane and it has since been crashed. Not by me. Like I said, I sold it. But anyway, (laughs) um, so depending on what you're doing, like I said, ours is about 100 foot long and I think probably 30-ish feet wide.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be huge.
1: No, it depends on your skill level. Like, really, if right. you can kind of set it down in a, a perfect spot and kind of spot yeah. land on your own, you can get a smaller a smaller runway than if you can't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so as for going asphalt, like, I, I don't really want to make the – like, where I am, I'm not comfortable making that kind of investment into
0: here. Because that would be a big expensive.
1: Investment
0: in um, Asphalt, that's expensive.
1: And the other thing that's nice about not using the fabric is the fabric, I'm sure, is going to cover – or, I'm sorry, it's going to kill whatever it
0: covers. So, I think so. Yeah. And if it doesn't, whatever's growing underneath it will is eventually really... try to probably grow through it if it's like the— like the... And
1: if not necessarily through it, it's going to make it all, like, bunchy and clumpy and stuff. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, personally, I've not had experience with that, and I don't think I yeah. would do that at my house. Just cut your grass short.
0: Yeah, it works for us. And we fly—like he said, we fly small stuff out here— Quite frequently in the summertime, so.
1: Yeah, and we get up to the 40 size, give oh, yeah. or take. Like, yep. I don't know if I go, just because of the room we have, I don't think right. I go much bigger than that. Yeah, and flew that's my, another. Flew my do here
0: once. On accident. <laughs> on accident. <laughs> it was an accident. Air quotes. Yeah, I see um, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, yeah, the only other concern really is uh, is the is what you have around you. Like as you know, long as long as you don't have trees, like at the end of either one of your uh, or at either end of your runway, um, things like that you want to try to minimize too. But yeah, I think a hundred feet for uh, will be plenty long enough for for anything small that you're going to fly foamy wise. Um, out Oh, especially your
1: place. yeah, especially for foamies because yep. they don't take much at all. Yep, like twenty feet might be long enough. for Yeah, some really, of those. as
0: as overpowered as some, most of the airplanes are these days. Twenty feet is usually plenty to take off in anyway
1: yep <laughs> okay next we have matthias back from last week he says hello again and thanks for answering my question in the last podcast you're welcome um, i'm back to give you guys an update on the dx7 radio problem and to ask a question and he says sorry if my english is a little hard to understand uh which it's not By first the way, first of all
0: don't don't <laughs> apologize yeah i i, I know people whose uh First language is English, and they can't communicate as well as you do. So you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) But he says, but with the battery voltage at
1: 6.5 volts, I meant that it was down at 6.5 volts at one time, and then I fully recharged it. Uh, I think the problem showed up after I recharged it. Also... Uh when I noticed that the throttle behaved weirdly, I used the monitor function to see why it was so strange. Maybe I should have used a negative one hundred to one hundred scale uh to describe the problem instead of percentages. Percentage, yeah. Um After the throttle stick problem, I just let the transmitter be. Sometimes I turn it on to check if it had fixed itself, but it didn't for some reason. I almost forgot that it existed, but then I checked it again, and it seems to work again. I flew it in my simulator for over an hour, and the throttle worked perfectly. I haven't done anything except turning it on sometimes. Um, If you're having problems with it, I would still probably send it into Spectrum just to get it checked out.
0: I wouldn't risk an airplane. Uh, I mean, with without actually having it in our hot little hands and, and seeing what it's actually doing. Um, it would be hard to diagnose what it is. So, yeah, your, your best bet is if you have any doubt at all on the transmitter, just take the time and, and send it in and build an airplane while you're waiting. It's <laughs>
1: a good idea. But <laughs> really, like, if you're on a simulator and that's what you're using it for— No big deal. Right. Um, He also talks a little bit, we'll get to UMX planes. If that's all you're flying and they're not like fast, heavy planes that are going to crash, crash when they crash, not that big of a deal either.
0: Crash, crash when they crash. You know what
1: I mean? Crash, (laughs) crash when they crash. Like when they crash, they're not going to crash, crash. They're just going to crash.
0: Oddly, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) I just thought it sounded funny. Yeah.
1: Well, and then, yeah. Um so if it's not something where you're worried about damaging an airplane badly when you crash, then I would use that or right. in a simulator I would or a simulator I would use it, but for anything big, yeah. If you have any questions or any doubts on a transmitter, get it checked out. Yeah. It's not worth. It's, it's really not, not worth
0: it. I mean, and we're not talking, you know, just the the damage that you might cause your own airplane. I mean, an airplane that's out of control that, you know, weighs a few pounds can do quite a bit of damage to somebody's car somebody's house somebody. Um, yeah. so don't don't risk it um, for like he said for simulators and small UMXs you're probably okay but um, if you decide to fly something a little bit more stout than that just send it in
1: yeah better safe than sorry yep and then he says now to the question for mm-hmm. my UMX plane I have a tiny eFlight 1S 150 milliamp hour battery I bought the plane and battery used so the battery is not a perfect rectangle anymore uh oh How much swelling is too swollen for a tiny battery? Uh, I still fly with a battery and have quite a lot of power, so the battery doesn't feel bad at all. Greetings from Sweden, and thanks once again uh, for the podcast and YouTube channel, Matthias. So, as for batteries, anytime they puff, I'm done with them. Like, honestly, yeah. because when they start to puff up, they are degrading and they're getting worse and worse. And it's, it will get to a point where it won't work as well as it worked when it wasn't puffed. Right. Um, but it's just, once again, it's not worth the, it's not worth the possibility of a fire or anything of that magnitude.
0: Even these small little, I think they're we call them chiclet Batteries because they look like chiclets, which is a gum here in the U.S. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Anyway, um, <laughs> even these little guys, when they go off, they can, I mean, they can cause fires. Like if they're stored next to a stack of wood or something that's flammable, they can certainly set something like that off. So yeah. it's really not worth risking it, especially if it's not a rectangle anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, that, if your rectangle battery turned into a sphere. yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just go ahead and yeah. get rid of that one and, uh, and, st- and, you know, those little Chicklet batteries are, are really not that expensive.
1: No. And um, usually buy them in like four packs and stuff yeah, to, to so, look on Amazon or whatnot. Um, but, yeah, once again, with that one, better safe than sorry, I would not – like I would not use it if it was too bad. Like a little puff, I'll admit, I've flown with uh, yeah. them, um, but not not a
0: lot. But yeah, when they – when to me, when they – when you squeeze them and there's no, like, give to them <laughs> and they're, like, more like a solid, like, That's, puff shape – yeah, oh. it's, it's... Wait, what? It's,
1: when you squeeze them, they should be solid because that means they're not puffed.
0: Yeah, but, you know, sometimes when they get puffy, they they have like a squish to them.
1: Yeah. I'll fly them
0: in that in that case. You know, I'll be very cautious with them. Now, I'm well,
1: not, So is the amount of pressure inside so of the, the puff? the amount
0: then? of pressure. Like if they're <laughs> oh, so God. solid and puffy that they just feel like bricks but still puffy, you're definitely past the, uh, the point of no return on... <laughs> On whether that battery is going to go off or not. It is going to go off eventually, so... Yeah. okay yeah. So if it's so puppy, just be careful just yeah uh, yeah don't just replace it <laughs> I'm with Ron on that one
1: okay and the next one came through as a text so I don't know a name because they didn't say so anyway okay. it says hi Ron I'll be interested to hear how Starlink works for you it just became available here but has warnings weather can block the signal I currently use ATT wireless home phone it's no longer sold but they still take my money <laughs> it's 4G and works great for us can't stream due to a 50 gigabyte a month data cap. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, but my priority is working every day, and I never come close to the 50 gigabytes. Huh? I won't be surprised if Elon Musk and his crew gets it to work with no downsides. That guy is wicked smart, and so are his people. Uh, cannot disagree.
0: Yeah, he's – yeah.
1: He's a genius. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so – I did get an email update on my order. Uh, unfortunately, they're pushing it farther out. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I bought it, it was supposed to be two to four weeks till it shipped. Now it's four to six weeks from when I ordered it, um, which doesn't surprise me because they have a lot of interest in this and it's, yeah. it's going to be good. Yep. Um, as for the weather blocking signal, I've not heard any issues with weather being a, uh, a problem with the Starlink stuff. Um, it does have a, a mode where it will melt snow off if it gets snowy. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So people have had it in blizzards and said they've really not noticed any difference with it whatsoever. Oh, that's good. Heavy rain maybe, but it's not often that we get a heavy rain. Um, it's just something with whatever, whatever band they're using. I think they're using like a KU band or something like that to, to transmit. Um, I I think it's it's less susceptible to that kind of stuff. But we'll once again, we'll see. And I'll, I'll definitely give you guys updates when I get it. Yeah. Uh hopefully it's sooner rather, rather than, than later. later. But yep. time will tell. Yeah.
0: So next up is uh is contact from uh Bill. Uh, he says uh emailed one of you uh I emailed one of you a few weeks ago about what to do with an arf uh that doesn't seem to have proper wing incidence or any thrust angles. Um Did speak to SIG, and they say all of that is built in. He says, uh, I just don't see it like I do with other models. So I reviewed the trimming episode, and he's referring to our flight trimming episode, I think. Um, He says, uh, did Tom ever address what coordinating turns was uh, in a later episode, and I missed it. Um, Well,
1: first off, like— Neither one of us received an email, Bill, oh, from yeah. you on this. So check if you don't mind to make sure, you know, where you were sending it. But Tom and I both checked our email yeah. and we didn't get anything. Um, I want to make sure that we're not missing emails. Right. So, yeah. you know, text me, let me know some other way uh, what you emailed and when it was so I can check and see what's going on because that's that's –
0: Concerning to me, yeah, we don't want to miss contacts from our listeners. No, um, so
1: if we're having an email with or a problem with email, I want to know. Yeah, about.
0: we want to get that fixed. So, Bill, to, to answer your question, I probably did get away from <laughs> coordinating turns, um, talking about him, talking about them in that episode. Uh, we, I do that a lot. Uh, I'll <laughs> be talking about one thing and then I'll go off on a tangent and I'll forget to go back and clarify what I was talking about originally. Um, so I'll I'll do that right quick. Uh, a coordinated turn is basically <laughs> right quick. <laughs> a coordinated turn is basically uh, feeding rudder in along with your ailerons in a turn, uh, so as not to um, drag the tail. Uh, I think is a term that uh, most people are familiar with, uh, and that's simply basically using your ailerons and your rudder together uh, to make a nice, pretty uh, turn, such that the Follows the nose around the arc of that turn, if that makes sense. Um, So, in full-size aircraft, we actually have a a, an instrument in the airplane that's called a turn coordinator, and it'll actually show you uh, if you're uncoordinated, basically meaning um, the tail is not following the airplane uh, around in a turn.
1: So, let me try and think this one through because I'm not quite like I don't I don't understand this very much. Okay. So, according to you, a pretty turn. Is when you have everything is just in a line, yeah, right? Right. So, can we think about it almost as though you're kind of doing a little bit of a knife edge if you don't use the rudder?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because in a knife edge, you're you're dragging the the rudder or the tail of the airplane um, in it's a line sometimes that is they're not like 45 degrees to yeah, the yeah, angle in a of line the airplane that doesn't that doesn't follow exactly uh, along with the nose of the airplane. Right? Okay. So the two lines, you know, are 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 going the same direction, but they're parallel lines. They're not lines laid on top of each other.
1: So it's almost like you're skidding along the turn. Exactly. Skidding. Okay. So I think I understand yeah. it a yep. little bit.
0: So a coordinated turn is a turn, like turn without any skidding.
1: Yeah. Like drifting for airplanes. Exactly. Well, kind of. Well, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm certain...
0: opposite of drifting. You're you're really dragging. It's like undrifting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No. Okay. So I think I'm starting to wrap my mind around it then, like what it is. I don't notice it a lot when we fly though. Yeah. So, and,
0: and, and most people don't coordinate there. And I probably, I don't do it most of the time because uh, the airplanes are so fast and they fly so well, they just sort of naturally follow a nice smooth motion when you make a turn. But on, on airplanes like this one here that we're going to build and larger airplanes, it becomes more noticeable because you can see it um, that when you're, you know, you're banking and you're bringing the airplane around on that turn, if the tail is, you know, following along, but it's, it's, it's kind of dragging, then, you know, you're not coordinated. So it's not a nice, pretty um, turn. So that's what I meant by coordinated turns. And that's how you coordinate a turn. Uh, you just feed enough rudder such that the tail follows the nose around uh, in the same line so that you're not skidding.
1: Okay. And then the second part to his
0: uh, question. Uh, So Bill goes on to say, he says, second, uh, someone got me a sport trainer ARF. Uh, The wing needs to be glued together, but it looks like it has dihedral. So how do I glue them and maintain the dihedral? Uh, Plans say to lay it flat, but LOL, clearly not possible. (laughs) Uh, and then he he follows us follows it up with a with another uh, contact later. He says, uh, "LOL, trial and error. I figured out that painters tape doesn't destroy the covering, and I think it's holding it in place pretty well. Thanks to you and Tom, I did run out and get the thirty minute epoxy." The two of you give such great information on your podcast, and I often find myself re-listening to many of them to catch things I missed the first time. I think when I have more time off, I want to re-listen to them and actually keep a notebook of all the information. Keep up (laughs) the super great work. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, thank you very much Uh, for that. that. I'm glad you figured it out. it's It's not uh not hard as you as you've discovered, and it sounds like you pretty much uh did it the way I normally glue a wing half together as I take one wing half, lay it flat on my building table, uh bring the other uh wing half up against it, prop up a wing tab uh add some epoxy and some tape, hold it all together, and there you go. That's how you glue a wing together,
1: yeah, and most of the time for the for the angle you're gonna have your wing brace that's in there. So you don't have yeah. to worry about making the angle or getting the angle right before you glue it, right? right.
0: Yeah. A lot of times you, you'll get dihedral braces uh, that uh, are their sole purpose to maintain that dihedral. But on wings where you don't have those, usually the root ribs are set at angles. So, you know, you lay one wing down flat on the table, bring the other wing up, of, uh, up against it, and then basically block up that other wing tip until those two pieces – mate perfectly together. So on,
1: but on some of them, there's no, mm-hmm. really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yep. I figured all of them had at least some sort of yeah. brace inside. Yep. Not always. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's been lots of airplanes that I've uh, put together with no dihedral braces, braces just two root ribs uh, epoxied together.
1: Wow.
0: Yep. I didn't know that. Plenty strong, especially when you wrap that center joint with uh, uh fiberglass tape or fiberglass cloth and then know glue that down but you wouldn't
1: you wouldn't do that on an arf just follow what they say
0: yeah yeah do do whatever like if you don't have the instructions uh if there's dihedral dihedral braces use them yeah um and but that technique usually works pretty well
1: all right anything else
0: uh no that's all i got
1: all right then until next time i'm ron and i'm tom Good good night good night